Our world is full of dangerous and unseen threats. Malware poses the threat of stealing our identity from our laptop. Phone scammers impersonating IRS agents pose a threat to steal our money. Viruses pose a threat to our health. Terrorists pose a threat to our national security by taking down the uh, energy grid or contaminating our water or detonating some kind of a dirty bomb in a highly populated area. Because there are dangerous and unseen threats all around us, authorities use various means to warn us about these threats, right? Public service announcements, news briefings, or those sometimes accurate, sometimes hilarious police sketches. <laughs> Forensic artists gather information from eyewitnesses, sketch the most prominent features of the criminal, and then post a picture to serve as a warning and a call for everyone to be on the lookout. Sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it hilariously wrong. Well, our sermon text this morning is sort of like one of those police sketches. This one is going to be dead on accurate, though. Jude is warning about a dangerous and unseen threat against the church. There are false teachers within the church who are causing division and leading some to depart from the faith. So in verse 11 through 19, Jude sketches the false teachers as a warning and the call to be on the lookout for them. His goal is that the church will recognize these false teachers for who and what they really are. And that's my prayer this morning, too. As we go through this sermon, my prayer is that this study will help us to recognize the threat, the threat against our church, against those that we love, and against each one of us individually. So, please take your copy of God's Word, turn to the next to last book of the Bible, Jude. Our sermon text this morning is verse 11 through 19. We're going to begin in verse 3 to get the context. Verse 3 and 4. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. With that context, let's read our sermon text, verse 11 through 19. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by the winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness 
that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you, verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, quote, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Friends, that is God's word. And may we hear this warning so that we can recognize the threat against our church. The threat that Jude warns about is two things at the same time. It's certain people and specific ideas. Uh, The people are threats because of what they're teaching. What they're teaching is a threat because it is error. It's not in line with what Jude says in verse 3, quote, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We say they're heretics with their heresy or they're false teachers with their false teaching. But the problem is, False teachers don't wear name tags that say, hi, I'm a false teacher with the false highlighted. Now, these were well-respected people with believable ideas. And, And by the way, when I say ideas... I don't just mean some hair-brained idea that's going to come and go. What, what I mean is doctrines or theories or concepts that are believed and then lived out and acted upon. Friends, the Bible repeatedly holds out to us warnings about false teachers and their false teaching because... Following God's word is the only way to true blessing. Following the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, what God accomplished through his son Jesus, through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the only way to eternal life. It's the only way. And the Bible repeatedly holds out the blessings of obeying God's word and the curses of following any other kind of idea that's contrary to God's word, even if it sounds sensible and logical and plausible. For example, in our reading this morning, Ben read from Psalm 1, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who does what? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The warning against false teachers and false teaching is incredibly important to us today, specifically because we live in a pluralistic culture. And a pluralistic culture is one that views every religion, every philosophy as having equal, credible value. In fact, in America, we would say that every religion is not only valid, but is a personal expression of personal faith and even beautiful as a cultural tradition. Anyone who says anything differently is labeled as all manner of things, right? The 
problem is that goes strictly against the teaching of Scripture that talks about the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus. For example, last time we were together, the last section, verse 5 through 10, Jude firmly warned that erroneous religious teachers are rebels against the cosmic authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead. Every religion is not equally valid because any other religion is rebellion against the Lord and Master Jesus Christ. And that that tone of judgment continues in our text. Did you notice it when we were going through? Jude wants us to understand that false teachers are going to be judged by Jesus. Look in verse 11 of our text. Woe to them. That's a pronunciation of judgment. Look at verse at the end of uh, verse 11 there. They will perish in Korah's rebellion. At the end of verse 12, these are they for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. In verse 14, it was about these that Enoch prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to do what? Execute judgment. So Jude is firmly warning that erroneous religion and erroneous religious teachers are in rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in our sermon text, verse 11 through 19, Jude continues his warning now with the tone that erroneous religious teachers are a dangerous threat against the church, specifically because they cause division and cause some to depart from the one true faith, the gospel of Jesus. So that's our focus for today. Our focus is being able to recognize the threat that false teachers and false teaching pose because they don't come at us as false teachers with false teaching. They just come at us as teachers and they're teaching. So in verse 11 through 19, Jude provides a sketch of these false teachers in order to expose them for what they really are. And as we read this, you're going to find out that Jude sketches a a pretty nasty image. I want to show you four main characteristics of false teachers as provided by Jude here in this text. As he sketches them, he's, he's going to pick up on four major features as if he's going to highlight, you know, their their eyes are this way or their ears are this way or they have a tattoo here, you know. He gives four main characteristics here in 11 through 19. Well, first of all, in verse 11, Jude uses three iconic examples from Israel's history to show that they are rebellious. False teachers at their heart are in rebellion against God. Read verse 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's way. These are three iconic stories of rebellion in Israel. First of all, they walked in the way of Cain. The story of Cain is in Genesis chapter 4. You're probably familiar with it. Cain became an iconic sinner by killing his brother Abel, specifically because God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. So when Jude emphasizes that these false teachers walked in the way of Cain, he's emphasizing the fact that the false teachers have walked in a way that is driven by self-love that ends up hurting their brothers, hurting the people of God. Example number two, Jude says they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Well, if you were to read Numbers chapter 22 through 24 this afternoon, you would be able to read the story of Balaam 
who became an iconic false prophet. Balaam was a false prophet because he accepted a bribe from an enemy king to curse Israel, God's people. Here's God's prophet accepting a bribe from an enemy king to curse God's people, and he tried to do it three different times, and every time he opened his mouth, he could only bless God's people. God overrode it. Beautiful story. It ends up with a donkey talking too, which gives preachers like me hope that God can use anyone. Well, Jude is emphasizing that the false teachers have abandoned themselves. Note, they've given themselves over just like Balaam because they pose as God's servants but are actually driven by greed and they become a curse to God's people. Example number three. They perished in Korah's rebellion. The story of Korah's rebellion is found in Numbers chapter 16. Korah's rebellion became infamous both as an iconic rebellion and an iconic judgment against rebellion. So Korah led 250 chiefs of Israel in a rebellion in the wilderness claiming that Moses and Aaron were self-appointed and had no authority to lead God's people and deliver God's law. Moses and Korah agreed to allow God to sort this out publicly. So on the specified date and time, Moses and Aaron and Korah and his 250 all gathered at the tabernacle. And when Korah and his followers arrived at the tabernacle, the earth opened up and swallowed them all whole. And the Bible says they went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. I guess you could say God settled that issue. Jude says these false teachers are like Korah and the rebellion. And that's a pretty ugly. Uh, Cain, Balaam, Korah. He emphasizes that the false teachers will perish in judgment, just like Korah and the 250 chiefs, because they're actually rebelling against God's word delivered through God's leaders, the apostles. So here in this first point, Jude's using three iconic examples from Israel's history to show that the false teachers are rebels who do not submit to God and his word. Woe to them, they will be judged. The second major attribute in Jude's sketch In verse 12 through 13, Jude uses six alarming metaphors from nature to show that the false teachers are deceptive. They're not just rebellious, but they are deceptive. Look in verse 12 through 13. Metaphor number one, they are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. A love feast was the gathering of the church. It was a beautiful celebration of praise and worship. It's where they took communion together and celebrated the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude says they're there. They're eating and drinking along with you. They're praising the Lord with you and they're doing it without concern. Because they blend in so much. What are they like? He said, just like a reef in the ocean, they're hidden beneath the surface. They're concealed. And if you follow them, 
you will make shipwreck of your faith. Metaphor number two. They are shepherds feeding themselves. They seem like respectable leaders, but they're really imposters. They're in this for themselves. They're, wo- they're worse than wolves in sheep's clothing. They're the shepherd <laughs> feeding themselves. Metaphor number three. They're in verse 12 through 13. They're waterless clouds. Do you see that? Waterless clouds that, that are just blown about by the wind. They're unstable. They're driven by current winds, and they will surely fade away. Metaphor number four from nature. Jude says they're fruitless trees. Just like a a tree with a lot of leaves, they appear to be healthy, but they have no fruit. They're dead. They appear to be spiritual people, but they don't produce any spiritual fruit. They're dead, and they will be uprooted in judgment. Metaphor number five. They're wild waves. Wild waves, untamable, uncontrollable, dangerous. What is it about them that is wild? Well, he's clear. They're boisterous about what they believe. But their confidence will be exposed as shameful arrogance. They will be brought to shame. Metaphor number six, wandering stars. They're bright now. They attract attention. But they will fade, and where will they go? These are some serious words. Into the utter, into the gloom of utter darkness in judgment apart from Christ. Here in this second part of his sketch, Jude's big point is this. He uses six alarming metaphors from nature to warn us about the imposters. Within the church, they're dangerous and they are deceptive, friends. They're not easy to see. Not by me, not by you, not by them. Woe to us if we think that we cannot be deceived. The third part part of the sketch, in verse 14 through 16, Jude shows five hideous ways that they fulfill the prophecy of Enoch to demonstrate that they are, keyword, ungodly. Five hideous ways that they fulfill the prophecy of Enoch. Now, what is this prophecy of Enoch? Well, Jude tells us in verse 14 that it was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, so this is not Cain's son, But if you look at genealogies in 1 Chronicles 1 or Luke chapter 3, you'll see another Enoch that was seventh from Adam. He happened to be the father of Methuselah, and he was the Enoch who walked with God, and then God miraculously took him to heaven without him dying. That Enoch has a prophecy. Well, what's interesting about this is that this prophecy is nowhere in the Old Testament. This is another one of those times that Jude actually uses um, Jewish apocrypha. Common language, common literature among the Jews uh, to make a point. And so he says, you know, in the, the book of Enoch, there was a book of Enoch. We don't have it in our Bibles because God did not preserve it as inspired. Jude, just because he's referencing something, is not putting his stamp of approval on the entire work. But the prophecy of Enoch is coming true. The prophecy of Enoch is accurate. What is it? Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all 
and to convict the ungodly of all of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Did you get the emphasis? (laughs) The prophecy of Enoch is about God judging the ungodly four different times. And he says, these people are ungodly in five different ways. In verse 16, he shows their ungodliness. First of all, they're grumblers. Now, if I were to ask you to make a list of ungodliness, would grumbling be on the list? Would it be on part of your top 10? Would it make the top 50? I can think of a lot of ungodlinesses that I would probably list before grumbling. But if we read the Old Testament, and especially if we follow Israel through the wilderness, we find out that grumbling is one of those little things that all of us do that is a very, very big deal to God. Why? Because it's an accusation against the goodness of God. Our grumbling, whether it is under our breath or spoken to others, our grumbling is an accusation against the goodness of God, and it reveals an unthankful heart. He said these people are ungodly in their speech because they're complaining against God. Number two, they're malcontents. Malcontent is the the attitude beneath grumbling, right? It's discontentment. Being under the sovereign authority of God. Number three, they're following their own sinful desires. The ungodly desires that control their actions. Number four, they are loud mouth boasters. They have an ungodly confidence in their opinions and in their visions and their dreams and their ways. These people are ungodly. Number five, they show favoritism to gain advantage. Hypocrites, shysters, fake and phony, ungodly motives and methods to achieve their self-centered agendas. Jude is exposing them, and he's doing it in a way that is just hideous, isn't it? I mean, when you read this, it's hideous, it's ugly. He wants to prove that these people who are saying such sensible things, saying that they've received visions and revelations from God in a dream, are actually ungodly people who are going to be judged by the Lord. To be ungodly is to be not of God. The fourth major characteristic. In verse 17 through 19, Jude shows three harmful ways that these false teachers fulfill the prediction of the apostles. And he warns by showing these ways that they are divisive. They're rebellious, they're deceptive, they're ungodly, and they are divisive. You didn't think that a short little letter could have so much detail, did you? Three of this, six of that, five of this, three more of that. There is so much detail in here. And Jude is painting this picture, giving us this sketch so that we'll be warned of a dangerous and unseen threat against our church, and our faith. They're divisive. Read verse 17 through 19. But you, you must remember, beloved, the prediction of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ that they said to you, quote, 
in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions, end quote. It's these, pointing to his police sketch. It's these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Jude says, do you remember when the apostles predicted that false teachers would come? They're here. You remember Matthew chapter 7? Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Hearing this, the apostles, almost all of them that wrote New Testament letters, gave warnings about false teachers. I'll just choose one. Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And we could go pretty much through every book of the New Testament and see warning after warning about false teachers coming into the church. Jude says they're here, and friends, they still are. He gives three ways that they fulfill the predictions of the apostles. First of all, they cause divisions. And if you read the New Testament, you know that Jesus takes the unity of his church very seriously. In fact, when Jesus came to the earth, did you notice how gracious he was towards sinners, but how direct and confrontational he was to the Pharisees? Why? Because the Pharisees were the shepherds who were devouring the sheep. And those warnings against false teachers are very direct, very confrontational. For example, Paul said in Romans chapter 16, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Do Jesus and the apostles call us to avoid the sinners in our neighborhood? No! We should follow Jesus toward them. Who are we to avoid? False teachers who are leading people away. It's because they cause division. Number two. They're worldly people. In the Bible, worldly is, is a synonym, or pardon me, it's, it's, um, worldly is opposed to godly. So these are people who are of the world or belong to the world rather than of God and belong to God. That means that their thoughts and their desires and their actions and their logic is Worldly. It comes from that which has been cursed by sin rather than redeemed by God. They're worldly people who cause divisions. And third, they are devoid of the Spirit. Devoid of the Spirit. Jude makes the point here more explicit by saying that they're not of the Spirit of God. They're filled and controlled with another Spirit. What spirit? The spirit that comes naturally. The spirit of depravity and sin. That is against God and, yes, anti-Christ. Jude's big point here in this last and fourth sketch he's urging the church to remember the prediction of the apostles. Because it's coming true right before their eyes. These false teachers are divisive. And the unity of the faith and the unity of the church will suffer because these people and their ideas 
are of the world and devoid of the Spirit of God. Rebellious, deceptive, ungodly, divisive. That's what we need to be on the lookout for, friends. This sketch exposes these people for who they really are, what they're really teaching. It's not just a beautiful cultural tradition. It's not just a personal expression of faith. They're dividing the church and leading people away into judgment because they're departing from the one true faith that has been delivered once for all to the saints. You know, this is particularly important to me as a pastor because I, in my role as one of the elders of this local church, have been called to guard the flock of God. So if we think in terms of a shepherd and the sheep, I'm one of the sheep under the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, but he has called me to help shepherd this flock. And one of the things that Jesus calls his under shepherds to do is guard the sheep. Guard the sheep from whom? The wolves, the false teachers and their false teaching. Listen, for example, to how Paul encouraged the the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. This applies directly to me and the other elders of our church. Paul says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know, Paul says, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day and night to admonish everyone with tears. According to Jude, what I, what you, should be watching out for in this sketch are those who are rebellious. They, they don't align with God and his word. Those who are decepted, the teachings that are promoted by Christians within the evangelical church. Those who are ungodly, that that means that their actions, their attitudes are not of God, likely because they're discontent with God and his ways compared to what they feel and want naturally. We're to be on the lookout for those who are divisive, ultimately harmful to the unity of the faith and the unity of the church because they are of the world and devoid of the spirit. So I thought about this as practically as I know how. And I'd like to close this sermon by sharing with you my top 10 current doctrinal threats against our church, against those you love, and against you as an individual Christian. And I make this note. This is just my opinion. Given more time, I'd probably add to, take away from, and edit this list. But here's my top ten for this morning. What should we be on the lookout for? What are the false teachers and the false teaching that actually threatens Winchester Baptist Church and you and your kids? Number one, the idea that natural human instincts, desires, 
and preferences are designed by God and therefore not to be denied. This is the issue in Jude. In verse 4, these are those who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. They are those who follow after their own sinful desires. And friends, that is the current trend of our culture to re, to redefine gender identity, freedom of sexuality, and gender roles within the home and within the church. Why? Because it's what I naturally desire. It's my natural instinct. It's, it's my natural preference. And so that's got to be given by God. And therefore, I should not deny what comes naturally. Friends, yes, you should. Because what comes naturally to us has been cursed by sin. We need to be rescued from what comes naturally to us by the supernatural regenerating power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't follow what comes naturally to you. Follow God's word. Number two. The idea that Jesus... That Jesus is the Savior. He's our role model. He's, he is the most wise teacher who ever lived. The, the idea that Jesus is the embodiment of love, but not, not sovereign Lord, judge of the living and dead. See, the church wants to soften Jesus so that he is more acceptable. The church does not want Jesus to be who he claims he is. We want to present a soft, friendly Jesus. Sinner, he is the friend of sinners. But only when we see our sin. That was the second way that these false teachers were impacting the church in Palestine in that day. Notice in verse 4, they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think it's that they deny him outright. He was Jude's older brother. They deny what? Who he really is. Or some aspect of him. And in our culture, everybody's fine with Jesus until we say that he is Lord. Number three. And they're going to go fast from here. The idea, and note I say the idea, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a teaching. It's, it's a doctrine presented to us from both people outside of the church, and even people inside of the church. Maybe not this church, but inside the church as a whole. It's the idea that's presented that the Bible is the greatest book ever written. It's worthy of careful, careful study and consideration. But it is not the inspired, inerrant word of God and should not be taken literally. So, for example, hell is just a metaphor. The Bible is the greatest book that was ever written. And it is also inspired by God and inerrant. We need to read it and understand it cover to cover, in context, carefully interpreting it. Allowing scripture to interpret scripture so that we get it right and then we are charged to live according to God's law, which is the only way to blessing. Everything else leads to destruction. Number four. The idea 
that God is pleased with any sincere person who seeks to worship him and to honor him no matter how they come. This has been around a long time, and it is only growing in popularity, and it is only further infiltrating the church. God is pleased with your heart. He doesn't care how you worship, only that you worship. It's a false doctrine. Number five, the idea that if a claim can't be verified by the scientific method, it's not true. If, if we can't observe it, test it, verify it, and replicate it, then it's irrational. It's illogical, which means then that it's ridiculous to believe in the human soul, the spiritual world, the afterlife, or a supernatural God. Number six, the idea that if we're faithful to obey God, don't you want to be faithful to obey God? If we're faithful to obey God and his word and live for God's glory, God will bless us with health and wealth and things will go well for us here. The prosperity gospel is the worst of all American exports. Don't fall for it. Number seven. The idea that sin, don't we hate sin? The the idea that sin is out there. It's in the government. It's in Hollywood. It's in my neighborhood, it's in our city, it's in our country, it's in our world. We need to protect our kids from sin. We need to protect our church from sin. It's not what the Bible teaches. Yes, sin is out there, but sin is also in here. Similar to it, number eight, parents, I fear that some of you might fall to the, to the age-old idea that my priority as a parent is to train my kids for excellence. I want to train my kids for excellence in character, in academics, in athletics, and in relationship skills and the arts. It is not your priority as a parent. While I hope that your kids and mine are excellent, what we really want for our kids is that they become faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make that your, parent, your priority as a parent. Number nine, the idea that my spiritual growth in the past is good enough for the present. I hear a lot of Christians talk about their past spiritual growth when they talk about when they really learned, really, really grew in the Lord. It's almost always in the past tense. And the danger is that Your past growth, while we praise God for it, is not sufficient for the present or the future. In fact, if you rely on it, you're the most in danger for the future. You can't live on the fumes of spiritual maturity, reading and study, and involvement in the past. Paul tells Timothy to grow in the grace Press forward. Keep on going. The last one, and I could do many more, of course. Top ten current doctrinal threats against our church in particular. Number ten, the idea that worshiping the Lord with the church on Sunday is good. It's so good. 
But honestly, if it doesn't fit into our family routine, if it doesn't fit into my schedule, if I'm too tired or feeling poorly, then it's not that big of a deal. Tell that to the writer of Hebrews, who in chapter 10 said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because it's when we assemble together that we are encouraged to keep on persevering in the faith. And the more we get away from the church, the more we get away from the community and the word and the gospel, and the more we are susceptible to falling prey. So friends, contending for the faith, what does it look like? Here in verse 11 through 19, it looks like contending against error. Contending for the faith is contending against error. And the only way that we can do that is by being faithful to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that was delivered once for all to the saints. So regardless of what's going on, make sure that we obey God's word and identify and follow leaders who are faithful to God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you very much for Jude 11 through 19. It is a warning that we need about a threat that is real. I pray that you would... Uh, would Protect us from false teaching, from false teachers. Lord, I beg you to never allow me to lead anyone astray. Please keep me faithful for your glory, for the good of this church. Please allow, raise up elders, raise up elders in our church who will continue to feed and lead faithfully and guard against false doctrine. I pray that you would do this for the good of this church, for the advance of the gospel here in Winchester and all over the world, and ultimately for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.